place. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Good morning. I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and I know no one is going to believe me, uh, but Pastor Eric and I do not text each other about what we're going to wear every week. No one believes us. It just keeps happening, and I'm sorry. But Merry Christmas. We're glad you're here. We're getting down to crunch time now. It's only two more weeks in case you have lost track of the date. we got about two more weeks. But beyond Merry Christmas, I hope that this sermon series has really and truly um, caused you all to look forward towards Christmas for the right reasons, to look forward to that day appropriately and with joy and anticipation. Pastor Eric and I were speaking this past week about how seemingly this year's Advent series has done that better than maybe some of the ones we even have done in the past. Maybe we have matured, maybe the Word is just going forth in a different way. But this, this year has really helped us to look forward, and I pray that it has you guys as well. Now this week we will do the same as we've been doing. We will look at um, our Advent series, Behold Our God. This is the third week of that, and it is going to be the week of proclamation. Now last week, we, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we looked at expectation as the people of God were expecting this Messiah, but they were kind of expecting the wrong thing. And then last week we looked at the week of preparation as they should have been preparing for God's arrival and incarnation in the world, but they were getting caught up in religious rituals and thinking that that somehow scored them points with God and impressed God, and He was the one preparing them for the great reward, not their rituals, not their religious activity. This week, we will discuss the idea that God has proclaimed His salvation and His method of salvation from the very beginning, and He is now in the process of carrying that out. He is carrying out his promises and his proclamations. Now, if you have come to mission much, you know how we preach. If you have not, I'm getting ready to tell you. Uh, usually we simply just take a scripture. Uh, usually it's not very many verses at a time. And we preach through that word by word, verse by verse. We have taken a break from that exact method. We are still preaching just scripture. But we are, again, in the Advent series, we are doing it a little differently. I heard audible gasps two weeks ago when Pastor Eric said, I'm going to preach a whole book today. Like, there were people in the back like, oh, my stars, like an old Southern Bell movie. Like, I, I can't sit through this. And yet we made it through. So the good news is, I am also only going to preach one book this morning. It just happens to be the Bible. All of it. Seriously. I'm not joking. I know you guys are laughing. That's not a joke. We're going to start in Genesis and end in Revelation. Now, we're not going to preach word by word, verse by verse, obviously, but we will see the entire redemptive story as one story of redemption from the beginning. This was plan A. This was God's way of saying, this is how I'm going to do it, and then the rest of it is, this is how I am doing it. So again, we won't be covering all of it word by word, but I want you to understand that this story that we are going to go through today, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we look forward to Christmas Day. This is why we celebrate that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And to do that, to understand Genesis 3, which is where we will start if you want to go ahead and turn there, we have to understand Genesis 1 and 2. But the cool thing about God's singular story is to understand Revelation, which is where we will end, we also have to understand Genesis 1 and 2. 
Now we know all, all know the creation account, or at least in general we know the ins and outs. God created, right? So God created, He spoke this world into motion. God created a perfect world with perfect trees and perfect animals. He made a perfect place to live with perfect people in it. It was all good. It was perfect. Everything was perfect. And what's great about Proclamation Week is that God did this by proclaiming it. He spoke it into being. And we will see this theme played out in Scripture over and over and over again. God proclaims and then God does what He proclaims. He fulfills His proclamations. We will see a few examples of that today. But the theme of today is when God proclaims something to be, He ordains it to happen. And it is going to happen. There are no questions. There is no debate. There should be no doubt that it is going to happen. And nothing will derail God's preordained plans. I know this because if humans could mess this up, it would have already been messed up. Humans mess up everything. I'm not going to go into any great detail, but Hope House, where I work, and a few people that actually go to, to church here work, we, have, we just purchased a house. It's for a transitional house for the program Living Guys to, to kind of take stepping stones back into the real world. So they're in the program Living House. Then we bought this house that we were considering whether we will rebuild or remodel or rebuild. And we've looked into it. And I'm not going to go into any numbers as to what it will cost. I'm simply going to ask a question. Who in the world thought asbestos was a good idea? Like, we mess up everything. Yeah, why not? Let's build houses with asbestos. It'll, it, it'll be fine. And yet, now that we've had that house inspected, it's not fine. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it is not. Lead paint, yeah, just put lead in it. It'll be fine. This won't cause any issues whatsoever. Humans can mess up anything, literally, any and everything. But thank God that He will not allow us, or He is powerful enough to keep us from messing up His plans. What He proclaims is going to happen. So we see this perfect place. We see these per perfect people have perfect communion with God. It's a lot of peace. Perfect communion with God. We say they speak with Him. They interact with Him. God gives them commands. He tells them the way this should work. And then He tells them one thing. Don't eat of this tree. All of this you can have. Just don't eat of this one single tree. We all know the end of the story. They eat of the tree. They cease to be perfect people. Non-perfect people cannot have perfect communion with a perfect God. So this is what is happening. This is, the, this is where we are at when we look into Genesis 3. These perfect people have become non or imperfect, I guess is the word. So they can no longer have perfect communion with God. So God is telling them. He is pronouncing judgment upon them. He is giving them curses. Now we are not today going to look at the curses of the man and the woman. Not that those aren't important. It's just a different sermon for a different day. However, in the midst of these curses and in the midst of literally the worst news this world has ever heard. Do we understand that? Adam and Eve eating an apple, a pomegranate, whatever fruit it was, is the worst news that has ever been news in the history of the world because it has severed our relationship with God. And since then, sin has been rearing its ugly head and causing all sorts of issues that we see going on in the world today. But in the midst of the worst news that has ever been news, we see a verse filled with so much hope. Because we see that these imperfect people cannot derail the plans of God. And we see 
That God is saying, in spite of that, I am still going to carry out my plan of salvation. We see a separate curse for the serpent, and that is the curse that should fill us with great joy this morning. This is the first instance of God's mighty, unimaginable grace. So read with me. It's verses, uh, chapter 3 in Genesis, verses 14 and 15. It says, So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So again, we see God proclaim something and then we see that come to pass. God says to the serpent, that he is cursed above all livestock, that he will crawl on his belly for the rest of his days. I don't know if you guys have seen snakes. I don't very long because I see one and I run. But I, I don't know if you've seen snakes, but they are on their bellies. God proclaimed this to be true, and it is true. Now, a lot of people think that this implies that snakes at one point had legs and or wings, and it freaks me out to even think about it. I don't know if that's actually true or not. Okay, I don't know if they did. It does seem to imply that God changed something to make the snake crawl on his belly, it would seem an odd curse for God to go, hey, stay the exact way you are. So they, they may have. So if Adam and Eve's sin is what caused snakes to be on the ground where they belong, I kind of actually owe them a thank you, or maybe I could ironically send them a fruit basket to say thanks. I don't know. That would, but snakes are on the ground where they belong because God proclaimed it to be. God said, your curse is you will now eat the dust of the ground. You will be beneath all other animals. And then, thankfully, that is true. Then, in the very next verse, we see a, a verse filled with so much hope that the Bible literally spends the rest of its pages explaining the hope that is contained within it and how God will assuredly bring this to pass. We see here God make an enormous promise, an enormous proclamation. He says to the serpent, you may think you have won today. You may have tricked these silly humans into doing what I told them not to do. And you may think you have won the battle. You may think you have won the war, but oh, I'm sending someone. I am sending someone that will vanquish you. I am sending someone that will eternally punish you, that will put you to your inevitable end. You may have think you have won today, but you will not win in the end. You will be but a bruise on his heel, and he will crush your head. And how do I know? Because I proclaim it. It will come to pass. It will happen that you will be eternally crushed. There is nothing you can do about it. See, God here proclaims that this one who is to come shall come through the woman. It is her offspring that will do this. It is from woman and woman alone, if you see here. He is speaking of the woman's offspring. We will see how that plays in in a little while. But he uses singular terms here as well. Offspring, that is the singular form of offspring. He says, he will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. What we can see here is that this is not just someone at some point is going to do this. It is a specific someone at a specific point. And that is what gives us hope because God has a plan from the beginning and he knows exactly how it's going to play out. This is our very first taste of God's grace. He had declared that if these people sinned, that they would surely die, and instead of killing them immediately, 
He made provisions to forgive them by offering them a temporary forgiveness through sacrifices that we will see throughout the whole Old Testament until Jesus comes. He showed them mercy. He showed them grace for the first time. And that is where the hope comes from in this verse. So from that point on, humans were expecting this chosen one. I can only imagine that every boy child that was born from this point on, people might have been going, is this the one? Is this the one that's going to set all things right? Is this the one God has promised? I don't know for sure that they immediately started thinking every child may be the one, but you can only imagine when God has made a promise that they are expecting that to come to pass at any moment. And we see this, this anticipation grow, this expectation grow and grow and grow through all of the Old Testament, through every prophecy that you see. There are literally hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that point directly forward to Jesus. And we're going to cover every one of them one by one, singularly. I'm just kidding, we're not doing that. But there is one in Isaiah chapter 7 that we're going to look at. If you want to turn there, you can. It's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it says, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a son. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. We see here the expectation has grown and the people are getting impatient. Is he finally going to do it? Is he finally going to do it? Is this the one? Is this the child? And they're getting impatient and starting to doubt a little bit. And God reassures them. He says, if I proclaim something, it will happen. You just have to wait. It is my timing, not your timing. I am still sending the one who will make all things right. He will be wonderful counselor. He will be mighty God. He will be everlasting father and he will be prince of peace. But he will also be the snake crusher. He will set all things right. He will set all things back to the way they were in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 before the serpent came in and deceived but since you are still unsure of how you're going to identify this child, here's another sign. A virgin will bear a son. Should be pretty clear. Not a lot of that going on. Okay? A virgin will conceive and bear a son. So now these people are still expecting a chosen one. They're still probably looking around at everyone. Oh, is, is, this going, is it going to be today? Is it going to be today? Is it going to be today? But now they at least have something to look for. They have something very specific to look for. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 1. See, we're already in the New Testament preaching the whole Bible. Be over before you know it. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel then proclaims that God is going to send her a son. Here we see the proclamation of God once again coming to fruition. He promised that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And then we see here that that is exactly what is about to happen. The angel comes to Mary and says, Hey, remember that time I told the people of God to wait for a virgin to conceive a son? You're her. It is about to happen. This is, my plan is now coming to pass. Now flip about one page over to Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea 
to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So we see the promise that she would conceive. She is now pregnant, so we see that that has come to pass. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So here we see even more Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. We see that Joseph took his family to register where? In Bethlehem. Why did he go to Bethlehem? Because he was from the lineage of David. Isaiah 9 verse 7 says, On David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So it is promised in Isaiah that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the child that is going to grow, be king, and rule forever. And then it says, The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So to fulfill the proclamation that this chosen one would come from the line of David and be born a virgin of a virgin, God foreordained that Joseph would be with Mary, that Joseph would need to go to Bethlehem to register, that Mary would be with him, but they would not be married yet so that she would still be a virgin, and that they would be in Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth. But I also want to point out the last sentence because we're talking about God and His promises and His proclamations and how they come true and how God keeps His promises. And it says at the end of that, it says, The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. A pastor friend of, of ours in Nashville on his Facebook status was speaking of this verse in Isaiah this week. And it says, he said, God does not keep His promises begrudgingly. He is zealous to keep them because they are holy promises that display the magnitude of His glory and the steadfastness of His love for sinners. If that does not cause you to worship God this morning, I'm fighting a losing battle. If you cannot see that God is zealous, He is passionate, He wants to keep these promises to show His love for sinners like you and me. He desires to do that. He's not doing it like, oh, i got to do this. I, I said I'd do it back in the day, so i got to do it today. He wants to do that. He is doing it in his timing because his timing is perfect. But he is, it, it's almost like you see God like, man, I can't, wait. I can't wait to send Jesus. I can't wait to show these people that I'm keeping my promises. But he waits because his timing is perfect. But he wants to do that. He is desiring to keep his promises to us. Pastor Eric preached the, the book of Micah two weeks ago, and in that book it says that out of Bethlehem will come a ruler of all. But Joseph wasn't in Bethlehem, was he? This is where I think the story is kind of funny. God had proclaimed that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now Caesar causes a census to be taken. Caesar was not a follower of God, let's put it that way. So a sinful man ordered the very census that got Jesus to the place that he was proclaimed that he would have to be born. And the point here is that everyone, following God or not, will be used for God's glory, for God's story to come to pass, for his proclamations to be true. Matt Chandler puts it this way. It says, no one gets to decide whether or not their life will be used to glorify God. That is an enormous truth, that God is using all of these things, even when we are being sinners, but He is using every person and everything to bring His plan to fruition. See, no one gets to make the decision that I'm not going to glorify God. 
even if they live their life and never repent, then their punishment reveals God's justice, God's righteousness, and God's holiness. And then if they do repent, then it shows God's mercy, God's love, and God's grace. No one gets to make the decision, I'm not going to glorify God. Everyone will be used for this glory, for His glory to be revealed. You see, God was not up in heaven going, man, I I really thought He was going to be born in Bethlehem. I I thought I had that one. How am I going to get Him there? And then He heard of the census. Oh, there's a census? Cool. Thanks, Caesar. Like, He's not wringing his hands, wondering what to do. He had this foreordained from the beginning of time. He was saying, this is what I proclaim, and now I am going to have a census be taken in order to fulfill it. It may look like coincidence, it may look like happenstance, but I have ordained it. I have proclaimed it to be, because when God proclaims, that is what is going to happen. We can rest assured in that. And God has proclaimed from the beginning to make things happen. We spoke of it earlier. He created the world by proclaiming it to be. He spoke it into motion. He proclaimed it and action followed. When his creation rebelled, we see him proclaim that he will send one to set all things right, to set all things back to before they rebelled. To Genesis 1 and 2, when his people continue to rebel, he proclaims again that the chosen one is coming, will be born of a virgin, will be born in Bethlehem. All of these proclamations... And then we see Mary pregnant and a virgin, and she conceives a boy, and they name him Jesus. That's Christmas. But that boy grows up. This boy grew up, and he proclaimed many things. He proclaimed that sick people would be well. He proclaimed that he was the forgiver of sins. He proclaimed demons out of people. He proclaimed dead men to come from their grave, and they did. And then he proclaimed that he was the one they had always been waiting for, that he was going to fulfill all of these prophecies, and that he would be killed, and he would rise again three days later. This man came proclaiming many things and making them happen just as God had done in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. He was proclaiming that he was God. He was proclaiming that he was the one who would set all things right. He would bring all creation under his feet. He would set things back to the way they were created to be and make all things new, just as we see in the first pages of the Bible before the fall. We see him proclaiming these things, telling people to follow him, repent and follow after me. And then we see many people rebel from that. They doubt him. They mock him. They ostracize him. They persecute him. And eventually, they do kill him, just as he said would happen. Just as Isaiah 53 said would happen. You see, these people had waited and waited. And we have seen over the past two weeks that these people aren't good at that. They're not good at waiting. They're not good at expecting the right thing. They're not good at the preparation that they're supposed to be doing to prepare for this one to come. So they, when he does come, they doubt him. They grew impatient. They grew doubtful. I have no doubt that if these people in the Old Testament had really and truly believed that the Messiah would come tomorrow, that they would have lived a completely different way if they truly believed that God was going to keep his promise tomorrow. And the reason I bring that up is because we are now those who are waiting. We are now those waiting for God's proclamations to come true. So as we come to a time to celebrate Christmas, and we make it through this Advent season, we are no longer waiting for the birth of this chosen one. See, God has proclaimed Christmas Day from the beginning of time. 
He has been saying, Christmas is coming. This day is coming when this baby will be born. That is what we are celebrating in two weeks. He kept that promise. He promised it from the very, very beginning. And yet we see that He kept that promise. And yet we are still waiting just as the people did before Jesus came. Because we know now that Jesus has promised to return. And He hasn't yet. And we wait. And we wait. We get distracted. We get satisfied by the paltry things of this world that mean nothing. And yeah, we, we believe He's coming back, sure, yeah. I mean, if someone asks us, we'll verbally say that he does. But if we really ask ourselves, am I, am I living in such a way that would point people to think Jesus may come back tomorrow? Am I living in such a way that I think Jesus might come back this afternoon? And I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because I already know my answer is that I don't. So many times I do not live in the way that, Je- that if Jesus was coming back tomorrow, you better believe I'm on my P's and Q's today. If I knew that for a fact. And God has said that he is sending one. And we do not know when. So we should live as if it could be today. Every single day. We fail to recognize just how sure we can be. That when God proclaims something. It is going to happen. So Jesus comes. And what does he do? He proclaims that I am he. I am the one. I am God. I am the one who will be killed. And I will return. He tells his disciples that until I return, you go and proclaim this message as well. Proclaim that I am the one. Proclaim that putting your faith, putting their faith in me will save them. That when I return, they will be my people. And just as my words create and put things into motion, just as my words make things happen, my proclamations make things happen, I will give you the words that will also create. You will proclaim these words and they will have life in them. You proclaim the gospel and dead men will rise. Dead women will rise to life. Your words will have the same power. The gospel words will have the same power that my words do when I say that something is going to happen and it happens. But I don't know that we really believe that. Do we really believe that we have the power in those words? Because I have to believe that if we really believe that we would speak them more often. We would speak them to the dead people we walk past every single day because we know that they have the power to raise them from the dead. But God has said that that is what will come to pass. So then we see the disciples go about doing this business. They go about proclaiming this message of the gospel. And in the midst of that, we see the whole thing come full circle. So now turn with me towards the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. We have here the revelation of John that God revealed to him when he was exiled. He was all alone. God was showing him what it would look like when he returned and kept his promise to return. But what promise is he keeping when he promises to return? What promise is he going to keep? Read with me starting in verse 2 of chapter 20. It says, He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, And bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. We see here Satan is very clearly identified as that serpent, right? Genesis 3.15, what's going to happen? The serpent's head will be crushed. And now we see the devil or Satan is identified as that ancient serpent. Now skip down just a couple verses to verse 7. It says, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. 
and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. It's very daunting, right? It sounds like we're completely outnumbered. Sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city He loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What promise is this fulfilling? It is fulfilling the promise we see in Genesis 3.15. He proclaimed from the beginning that he would send one to crush the ancient serpent. And we see at the end of the book that that is exactly what has come to pass. God has proclaimed it in this inevitable end of this serpent. He will have no mercy. He will have no argument. There will be no debate. It is going to happen. And forever and ever ever he will be tormented and we must learn and preach to ourselves to trust God's proclamation more than our feelings more than the words of this world more than our doubts more than all the scoffers that are out there that you guys are idiots for believing that this is going to happen we must believe God's proclamation more than those things we must look back and see that when God proclaims he makes those things happen and it will come to pass we've seen it happen over and over again and praise God he does not he does not call us to a blind faith I hate that term when people say that well God just calls me to a blind faith that makes us look silly God has not called us to a blind faith he has called us to a faith that can be founded on his trustworthiness and on his promises kept we can look back and see all of the promises he kept and we have faith that if that God kept his promises so this God will as well and Jesus is God Jesus has made these proclamations he is saying I am he he has kept his promises I'm going to keep my promises and you can build your faith on that foundation it's not a blind faith in any way. It is based on the trustworthiness and the steadfastness of God's love. And if you turn maybe a page over in Revelation 21.5, it says, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. How new can things be? How much newer can they be than God just created them? He is saying here, I am setting things back to before the fall. Genesis 1 and 2, when people had per perfect communion with God because they were fully righteous, that's what we're going back to. I am making all things new the way God created them to start with. I, Jesus, am doing this. And I find it interesting that when we read the Bible as one single story, one single story of redemption from beginning to end, we begin to see from Genesis 3 on that this was all effort to get us back to Genesis 1 and 2. That is why that was there. That's why we didn't just start with Genesis 3, we're sinners. Because God was giving us a short glimpse of things to come. God was giving us a glimpse of this is what we're going back to. I will perfect all things back to the way that I created them to start with. And then we will have perfect communion with a perfect God like they did from the beginning. See, this week as I prepared, I just looked up the definition of proclamation. And out of all the definitions that I saw, I just wanted to see what I was getting myself into. Almost every one of them had one specific word in it, and that word was public. 
It is a proclamation. It is a public declaration of something. It is a public statement. It is telling the public. So proclamations are public official declarations or statements. And if you think about his proclamation in Genesis 3, how much more public can it be than telling every human being that's on the planet? It can't be any more public than that. He told literally everyone that was there. It just so happened it was only two people. And then we see when Jesus returns that every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. No one will have doubts what is, getting, what is going on. No one will be like, did I hear something over there? They will know what is going on. And his proclamation will be public yet again. Every human being on the planet will hear and see this proclamation and this fulfillment of his original proclamation that God had proclaimed that when he returns, Jesus will make all things new. So may we, as we wait, proclaim this majesty because we believe his promises, because we believe his proclamations. And until the day that he does return, we will be ready for his return. And more people will also be ready for his return. Because if we refuse to do that, if we are saying to ourselves, we, we aren't going to proclaim these promises, then we have to really ask ourselves, do we really believe them? Do I really believe what God has promised? Do I really believe that God is going to carry out? I want us to, to really process these things. Do we really believe? Do we take God seriously enough when He tells us to have faith in Him and His promises? See, Christmas is the celebration of promises kept. Many, many promises kept. That is what Christmas celebrates. So if you do believe that, do you believe it enough to go and proclaim it so that more people can believe it and be saved? This is not a fire and brimstone sermon. The Bible is very clear from the beginning, however, that we should expect, that was week one, right? Expect God to keep His promises and that we should be prepared, that's week two, for when He does. But until that day, we must proclaim that He is coming. We must proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is what Jesus came preaching, right? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is what we must proclaim in expectation and preparation for Him keeping these promises. So as we celebrate Christmas this year, may we celebrate the birth that we have seen promised and carried out. May we celebrate that God kept that promise because without the birth, we can't get to the resurrection. So we have to have it. So may we celebrate it because we already believe it, because we can see that God fulfilled His proclamations. But may it remind us that He has made more promises as well, and we can and should have faith in those. So may we live in and rest in that truth this Advent season as we wait. May we have faith in God, the promise-keeping God. May we find our salvation in Jesus, the one promised from the very beginning. And may we live as if He may come back as He promised today. And may we live that way and proclaim that message from this day forward until he does return. Pray with me.